And this guy came forward and got on his knees. He had a, a, a Maasai club in his hand and he was on his way to do a revenge killing. And he was led to the Lord, power of God touched him, there was tears, intercepted, basically a murder. Well, welcome everybody, this is Simon Gilbo. And this week we've got Inspired with Dom Muir. Dom Muir is a good friend. He's doing fantastic work. I would describe him as, as a sort of Elijah. He's like a modern day prophet. And that would mean in saying that, that well, often they said unpalatable things. Often uh, they caused a bit of a ruckus. Often they were misunderstood. And they weren't any of those things if they to toned it down and diluted their message and played it safe. And I'm glad to say that Dom doesn't do that, that he is very bold, he's fearless, he's also gentle, he's kind, he's gracious, he's a lovely brother, and I'm excited about how things are going to go. So welcome, Dom, it's great to have you, bro. Thanks, Simon, good to be on. Now, for those of, you, those of us who don't know much about you, why don't you just fill us in in terms of your background and uh, the, the sort of initial phases of your journey? Yeah, I'm Dom, uh, I'm married to a lovely girl called Thea. We got married five years ago. I'm 44, uh, raised in uh, London uh, in a sort of nominal Christian family, dad, high, high church Catholic, mum, low church Anglican. So we kind of did the churchy thing as I was growing up. And um, I suppose when I hit my teens, because I'd never really encountered the power of God, the love of God, I just knew religion, I was sort of swept into basically what the world had to offer. I went to boarding school very classical kind of English boarding school, did chapel every morning, um, got confirmed, but like I say, essentially fell into that camp of, you know, religion is irrelevant, it's boring, probably untrue, probably made up in order to control people. Mm -hmm. And Darwin has disproved the whole thing. So long story short, got caught up in the world, um, particularly kind of hedonism, in the 90s, kind of um, experimenting with class A drugs, going after women. And by the time I hit university, it was very much kind of, yeah, going after the sex, drugs, rock and roll, trying to fit in, trying to be cool. Went through some bullying as well at Eton, which, you know, caused probably quite a lot of um, heart wounding, which I sort of spent most of my trying to trying to cover up with what I would call the false masculine, you know, so achievement, um, accolades, being part of the right gang, making sure my watch was fat enough, you know, in order to look like mm. I was going to be, I was successful and from the right type of family. So a lot of sort of fig, what I would call fig leaf covering and worldly brokenness um, and false masculine. And that kind of carried on a little bit into my working life, which was primarily in marketing, advertising, and then film. So I, and really that journey, that time in my journey was very much about career, as it often is for men. Um, I was, you know, for me that it was just vital that I, um, you know, had the sort of right business card that I looked like I was, I was, I was, uh, I was successful, and that, mm -hmm. and that you know, Dom Muir was justified before man, um, let alone God. And um, and the film industry was a, a real wake up call to, I suppose, darkness. Really, I think I, I'd had experiences in taking drugs and in various places like that, where I'd kind of had these sort of spiritual encounters that felt very dodgy. But um, I suppose I just um, consigned them to um, 
um, hearsay or whatever. But when I was in film and I was kind of coming up against some corruption and some just dodgy dealing and, and just noticing in my own journey quite a lot of, you know, bad decision-making, immorality, really. I, I, that was when the Lord really began to bring conviction and, and actually kind of draw me to himself. And so, again, long story short, um, went on Alpha and on the Holy Spirit weekend was powerfully touched by the, Holy, by the Holy Spirit. The fire of God went from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. The love and the, and the, and the peace and the joy of, of the Holy Spirit just flooded my soul and I was completely undone. And my life was turned upside down in that very moment. I felt a physical hand touch my shoulder at the time. I was, in, I was in a barn just outside of London. It was a kind of small Holy Spirit weekend away. And uh, I didn't want to go forward for the, for the altar call prayer because I found that a bit odd and I didn't want to... And I, I think in a way I still felt a little bit kind of proud and didn't want to look like I was sort of needy. And, but God in His grace met me and I just stood at the back of this barn and uh, a physical hand touched, touched my shoulder and, this, and the fire of the Holy Spirit went through me. And I, was, uh, and I, f- I fell to the ground and um, had, you know, what the Bible calls a, a born-again encounter with the Spirit of God. And everything changed in that moment. Um, I felt God speak to me and, and say, I love you, my son. I've been waiting all this time. Mm. And I was 26 at the time. So, it, yeah, so that's, that, that's how I came to, to know God. And, and uh, yeah, I've, I've never looked back. And you, you sound like you're probably a nice guy, you know, partying and that sort of stuff. You, you weren't sort of being horrible or anything, but was there a dramatic change? Did people notice a change in you straight away? Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably quite a good way of explaining it. I was a kind of classic middle-class, all, all right kind of guy. You know, I was, uh, uh, I think there was a lot of brokenness. There was a lot of addiction and I was using women to kind of meet needs. But on the outside, if you'd met me, you'd probably thought, you know, he's, he's a decent guy. Definitely had some pride and arrogant ish, arrogance issues. But certainly when when I met with the Lord, there was a dramatic change, yeah. that I suppose the, the most dramatic change for my friends, bless them, was that I straight away had an evangelistic zeal come upon me. So I just, I was, there was, all, I was almost appalled that I'd spent so long going in and out of churches, you know, throughout my life, weddings, Easter, Christmas, chapel every morning. Mm. And yet I met with the God that I'd heard for so many years in this barn, this random barn outside of London, and it was so glorious and so beautiful. You know, I, I often say when I'm out in the streets evangelizing, there's no high like the most high. You know, I'd looked for that yeah. love, that peace, that joy in all the wrong places. I'd looked for it in drugs. I'd looked for it in intimacy with women. I'd looked for it in pay, pay upgrades. I'd looked for it in fancy suits. And, and yet I got it in this really weird, untrendy barn. And it was through Jesus Christ. And, and I, there was a kind of, I was appalled that this news, this gospel wasn't, being presented on the front page of the newspapers wasn't mm. wasn't central. It was kind of hidden, and I and I just wanted to tell everyone. And so I immediately began to email all my friends and invite them to Alpha. And quite quickly, a couple of them, who probably one of them was my best friend, one of my best friends, sat, sat me down and said, "Don, we're worried about you. We think you've become part of some cult. What's happened?" And um, it was quite, it was, it was a strange time. It was quite an upsetting time where I had to question my faith because, you know, people who you've walked with for that many years, when they say things like that, you, you, you do question uh, what's going on. But actually, praise God, the relationship I had with God, even by that stage, was, was real enough and was daily enough to override that, that temptation, if you like, that fear of suddenly being labeled, 
you know, wacky or weird or, or a loser or, or all the things that begin to come. And, and yeah, my heart was, was changing as well. So there was forgiveness that came with that. There was uh, my whole, I, my, the biggest addiction I struggled with was, was womanizing, was promiscuity. Uh, it was a real addiction, pornography, uh, womanizing. I used to go to clubs by myself at times, you know, on a Friday night. You're thinking it was kind of cool and kind of um, uh, sort of brave and pioneering, um, but actually it was just a real addiction. And actually that began to, that that heart towards women was completely changed. Uh, I didn't lose some of the pro- the propensities that I had overnight. They've gone now completely and there's a long journey and a long story attached to that. But definitely my heart towards people, my heart towards what was valuable in life, you know, uh, what I would uh, do as a job and that kind of things was was a radical shift. And uh, and actually people, particularly my mother, and uh, saw that there was a light on me and that I that I was changed. And actually that drew her to the Lord. And within a year she got saved again on an Alpha course. So I've seen, yeah, I've seen some really good fruit from that. And did that mean that you gave up your job straight away or you saw yourself as being used in that line of work? Yeah, good question. Let me think. So uh, 2002, 2003, no, I, I, I was at the time I, I, I left the film industry. I needed a break from that. That was full on. And that was very much, you know, the territory of nightclubs and, you know, VIP rooms and trendy film directors that I just kind of needed a break from. Um, so I left that and I went into filming weddings and tutoring and, uh, which I'd sort of had a bit of a history in. So that was a good way of making money. But at the same time, what I did alongside that was I, I took that call to really just see people meet Jesus that, you know, I think that desire for people to encounter the love of God through Jesus that, that you've experienced, that I'd experienced, I think carries with one the whole way through, you know, the journey of faith. Some are obviously called into a more overt expression of evangelism, but we should never, any of us, le- lose that desire just for people to meet God. It's, it's the greatest miracle. And I, and in that time in my life, what I did was just took it, I took it eventually, probably within about a year or so, to the, back to the streets of Soho. So I had this job in Soho and film, and I decided to start a, a kind of street outreach in Soho, which became a street church for about seven years, where we would take a truck and, uh, and a table and a, and a soup uh, type thing, tea, coffee, donuts from Pret-a-Manger, that kind of thing that they were giving away. And we had street church for seven years. So we prayed for people on the streets. Um, I got a friend of mine called Rick to build a wooden cross. He was a carpenter at the time, and he built this 10, 11 foot cross, which we put up in the middle of Brewer Street. Mm-hmm. which I was always quite nervous about putting up. You know, not only was it quite heavy, but it was just such a sign. And we were right in the middle of this, the red light district with all the pimps and the mm-hmm. working girls. And and it was amazing though, you know, the Lord showed up. We had teams of 20, 25 that would come. Yeah, give us some vignette stories from that time. So, oh, so we had the, there's one photo that springs to mind of a gay couple that came and knelt. They both knelt. Uh, at the cross and received prayer from one of our ministry team. I remember that. Um, we had some fights. There was, there was, you know, we had a lot of um, homeless guys and some guys with drinking problems. And there was a, I don't know how it happened, but I, th- this is what's kind of flashing into my mind. Got a friend of mine called Charlie who was, who was having to break up a fight. So it was sort of a real mix. A lot of these guys would come regularly as well, these same drunk guys and get cups of tea and we'd, we'd, we'd pray for them. 
at the time, I felt a real call to preaching the gospel. But I was a bit, I was, I think I was both terrified on, on the one hand and also felt like it would be that it was, wasn't allowed. And funnily enough, wasn't allowed by the church. It was kind of off-putting. There was, a, there was a, a guy at the time who used to be called the sinner winner guy. And he used to preach, don't be a sinner, be a winner. <laughs> and um, and he and, and I remember feeling this call to preach the gospel, and of course, seeing it in, as you read the Word of God, as you read the Scriptures. You know, Jesus says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel." Car- uh, caruso, the Greek word, proclaim in the manner of a herald this good news. Uh, is another another moment he says in Matthew ten, "What you hear on the ear, preach Caruso from the rooftops." Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, get into the highways and the byways, compel them to come in. You know, the scripture is strong. And I remember reading that and feeling this tug in my heart, but thinking like, gosh, I can't do that. I, I, you know, that that's beyond the pale kind of thing. You know, that really will take me into kind of loony territory. I'll be like that sinner winner guy. Not only will I lose, um, I've, I've lost my worldly friends. I'll lose my church. These were kind of some of the fears. But, but funny enough, a, a lady at the time, who was part of our ministry team on the streets in Soho? I just shared this this with her. I don't know why I picked her. I, we were just having a drink in a in a bar one night, and she said, "You should just do it." And it was one of those kind of Kairos time um, yeah. uh, moments where the Lord just said, "It's time." And the next day, I got up on a little soapbox in the same spot where we'd had church, and I started to deliver my first messages, my sort of first preaches. And I looked back on one the other day, and I was I was so embarrassed. I, sometimes when I still watch them, I'm a little bit cringed out by them. You know, when you sort of see yourself preach, it's just a bit uncomfortable sometimes. But some of those early ones, even more so. But actually, it was an amazing um, breakthrough for me, if you like, to to just step into what actually God has called me to do, which is simple proclamation of the gospel in the gutters, you know, on the streets, and and not always proclaiming um, as a herald, if you like, but sharing, speaking one to one, but definitely the you know that proclamation. And listen, I've, I just let me say, I've watched you do it, and you know, I think people listening might be thinking, oh no, he's one of these just gets up there ranting, shouting at people, condemning, just blasting them, just giving Jesus a bad name. And we've all seen such people. And just to reassure the listener, that's not your style at all, is it? But there's a there is a way of communicating a powerful, uncompromising message with deep, deep love. And, and that's what you're, you're doing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I think so. And I do believe so. Because um, the one of the one of the revelatory kind of breakthroughs that I got, which was so helpful to me and might be helpful to someone listening, is that actually we're already preaching before we speak. That in the spirit, we're already uh, releasing the fruit, if you like, of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We're kind of imparting that because we're spiritual mm-hmm. beings before we open our mouths. So um, if you're in the right place in your heart, in other words, primarily you, you want, you're loving people. You want people to hear the truth because you love them. Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, preach the truth in love. That's maturity, he says. So if you're in the right place there, in other words, you've dealt with, and this is why I have real compassion for some of the street preachers who people dislike or who think are doing a terrible job. And, and you know, maybe some of them could do a better job. We probably all mm-hmm. could. But I have compassion because it does elicit a lot of rejection. The, the, the call does. You know, you're right on the front lines. We're in a, we're in a, a secular nation now. We're in a, in a pagan nation, post-Christian. 
And actually, what 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 can happen is you you can get um, you can end up uh, basically taking on rejection, taking on a, re- a spirit of rejection, and that can happen both through the church and by the people in the world. And so, what that builds in someone is um, uh, a message of judgment. Uh, because they feel rejected, they don't feel loved, they've got issues, and they, you basically release your inner world when you preach. So hopefully that makes sense. So yeah, when I go out on the streets, I make sure I'm having a, you know, I've had a good time with the Lord, I'm in a good place, I'm loving people, and then I just trust God with His command, which is, you know, the foolishness. There's a foolishness in preaching. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians uh, 1 and 2, he said that God's chosen the foolishness of the preaching, but also the foolishness of the message. It's foolishness to the Greek mindset, uh, to the intellectual mindset, but it's God's chosen means of salvation. And he uses base people. He uses ordinary people to shame the wisdom of the world. And so I have to trust in that as well, because sometimes I think, gosh, you know, people want to hear articulate um, arguments. They want to, they want to, I don't know what, they want to be made to laugh or whatever it is, all the systems, which, which by the way, can be a real help. I'm, I'm not saying they can't be used, but what I am saying is God's chosen means, as Paul writes in, uh, in Romans 1 16 is, is the power of the gospel. And we're not to be ashamed of it. We're to proclaim it. And, and actually, yeah, I just, and I do, I love, I love people. I mean, you know, I want people to meet God, that's the that's the bottom line. I feel broken for this nation. I feel broken for how many people have no clue about this kingdom of God that is at hand for every single yeah. person. Love, joy, peace, freedom from addiction, knowing that they're a child of God, knowing that they're not an accident, knowing that they're going to heaven, knowing that they don't have to fear death. So many people fear death yeah. today. They fear their paycheck. They're, we're orphans. And yet we have this God, we have this gospel. The church has the most precious news That's available. Right. And so me as an evangelist, it's like, let's get out there and tell them. And, you know, if, we, if we're not going after the lost, then, then we're lost mm. ourselves. You're quoting uh, Romans 1.16 there about the power of the gospel. And, and Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And I think the sad reality is that most of us are ashamed of the gospel because we're, in other biblical speak, we're keeping our light under a bushel. We're like pussyfooting around sharing our faith or maybe I'll just try to live it and um, but never dare to actually say anything. And... I think, you know, from my experience, you know, this this African brothers and sisters, they are so bold and passionate and they're just up for, you know, stepping out there. And I think that's a challenge that they bring to the Western church, because I think we are in this country totally on the back foot. And listen, guys, what we're not saying is that you have to, everyone has to end up going on the streets. You know, that, that is one way, but it is interesting, isn't it? That I think from your experience, from my experience, just about every single time you go out in the streets, because there are people amongst the crowd, most people just on their way shopping, they haven't got the time, whatever. A few will walk past you, <laughs> bollocks or whatever. But, um, you know, there's mm. always people that um, are, are just are, are, are wounded or, you know, we, you've probably had this umpteen mm. times. I say, last night I prayed, you know, God, if you're real, show yourself to me and, and I'm out here now. You've just completely spoken into my life. I mean, that's that's the beauty of it. And he, he came for the one, didn't he? He left the 99 to go for the one and there's always the one out there. So, you know, this this on one level, this time we got this week sharing with you, Dom, is I, I hope it was to other people up to join you, to join me. We're going out this Saturday. And, uh, and, and in a sense, in doing that, I think it's a, it's a, 
It's an empowering for people to step across the line of their fear and even to lay down their reputation. And then it can become part of a lifestyle and doing it more naturally. Anyway, back to you. So, I mean, you, was that the birth of, uh, of, of Now Believe? Yeah, it was. And Simon, I just want to echo exactly what you said. You know, um, as you were talking, I was reminded two things. First of all, the last two times I went out on the streets was Brighton and Horsham. And this was uh, t- a weekend ago, I think. When I was in Brighton, you know, Brighton is a is a, a mecca of kind of um, spiritual hunger, uh, bro- what I would say is brokenness, um, kind of sexual revolution. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting, spicy place, put it that way. We had a stage, we put it up right in the middle of the kind of skateboard park. And there was a, um, a march meeting there. There was, they were, what was it? It was a Kill the Bill March rally going on. So we had about 500 students and such who were from all sorts of walks turning up there. And we preached the gospel and people were listening. We saw 10 people get saved. We were there probably about an hour and a half, two hours. We sang, we sang worship. And, and I want to encourage people that, um, you know, as you, as you rightly just said, Simon, people are hungry and particularly the mm. youth, particularly people who haven't really known religion. Yeah. Um, they've just come up and they've just... They want to know. They, they, they're hungry for answers. There's such a relativism. There's such a postmodernism of my truth, this, and you know that actually, when people come with boldness and they bring the message of the love of God and the cross, people are they're hearing it. It's happening. It, it, we saw ten people get saved in Brighton. We saw three people the next day. I remember I preached at offer at the bandstand in the center of Horsham. Really sweet, kind of pretty, very affluent, kind of. St- spiritually asleep, it felt at least, uh, a town. And I thought, gosh, this is going to be hard ground. Like I'd prefer a Brighton, yeah, to be yeah. honest, but there I was in Horsham. And this guy, this sort of well-dressed guy, um, sort of having a croissant, listening, um, sort of vaguely reading the newspaper, um, probably late 20s. And I thought, I'll go up to him. And honestly, I didn't have much faith for it. I thought he would just, you know, brush me off. Like, I'm doing well. I don't need what you're doing. And he was just open and we got talking. It turned out he'd been on 12-step processes. He had a drink problem, a drugs problem. And um, we got talking five, 10 minutes. I gave him a bit more of my testimony. And it turned out he was just ripe fruit. He was ready for the picking. And I said, look, and I don't normally pray the salvation prayer unless I feel like someone is absolutely ready for it. I I don't like... I just don't like, I, I prefer the discipleship mode where you just walk with people until they're crying out to be filled with the spirit, mm-hmm. basically. But anyway, I, I prayed with this guy and he was touched by the spirit. His whole countenance changed. He said, what was that? I said, it's the Holy Spirit. And um, we introduced him to local church members. He's being discipled yeah. right now as we speak. And so it's happening. But I also want to say to those people who are scared, when I started this, when I felt this burden, which the which the Lord gives us, it's his heart for yeah. the lost. It's... It's, it, I went on in Kings Road in London where I used to go clubbing and I was so nervous and I went with this group that did street outreach and I stood by McDonald's embarrassed holding a leaflet. Like that was my start block. And we all have a start block, you know, whether it's riding a bike, whether it's windsurfing and basically we're pretty pathetic, right? But those people who become proficient or experienced, they start there and then it just takes time. And I want to encourage it. There is a, there is an enemy uh, victory here that basically stops people from starting. And it, he uses intimidation and fear. That's his biggest, and pride, I would mm-hmm. say, 
Unbelief. Those three are, the, I would say, are the biggest ones. Pride, in other words, looking like a fool, caring about your reputation, fear, you know, I could get in trouble, I could be, you know, given an ASBO or a hate speech or something like that. Unbelief, does this really work? And I want to say to anyone listening, those are lies, those are strongholds from the devil himself. And they've kept the church captive for decades. They've kept the church in what I would call a kind of churchianity. Mm. In other words, keeping it within the four walls of the church, keeping the message within the four walls of the church. And I want to say to people that, you know, like I said earlier, that some some of us are called frontline on the soapbox, but but I want to take it into the offices, take it into the shopping malls, take it out on the street, you know, door knock, like, some people say, well, I can't be like a Jehovah's Witness. Yes, you can. You can door knock and meet the one. I loved how you put it, Simon. There's always mm-hmm. one there. And God from eternity sees your little pat lunch that you take out and he will line people up with the angelic realm and there'll be people there who are addicted. There'll be people there who are close to suicide. So we had this, this, this one story. Uh, we were in uh, Kenya in a, in a town in Kenya, Nakuru, I think it was. It might have been a different town. Anyway, we were on a five-day, it was a five-day crusade just in the town, a rickety, rickety old stage. And on the fifth day, I was told by the pastor that we would have our biggest crowd because everyone comes out on a Sunday. I was so excited. We'd had fairly big crowds, but I wanted more. And we got to our crowd on the Sunday. And, uh, and as the car uh, drew up, another church had basically nicked our stage <laughs> and we're doing this big sort of fanfare, they had the flags out, they had the ribbons out, they had their whole church group out. And I just, we all sat there in the car aghast that a church that knew we'd been there four days had taken our stage and they refused to move. And I thought, this you just couldn't make this up. I was so angry, but I was also kind of like, found it hilarious. Anyway, the, the pastor said, look, it's all right. He made a phone call and uh, we ended up going up the hills into a village and we just put our speaker system down in the, in the streets of this village. And um, uh, I thought, great, well, let's go for it. So we did it. We did the worship and we got preaching. And this is precious anointing came on me. I still had the boldness. I still had the fire. And, you know, this is when I feel most alive, just to be honest mm. with you. Like when, I, when I'm proclaiming the message of the gospel, um, you know, that famous Chariots of Fire scene where Eric Little says, you know, when I, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. And I want to say to every Christian out there, there's something that God's given you to do where you feel alive. It could be uh, washing the dishes. It could be entrepreneurial business. I don't know. It, whatever it is, there's something you've been made to do. For me, it's, it's preaching the gospel, often in weird places, like in a village street with speakers in the, in the puddles. And, this, and I was preaching, and I kept preaching this, this couple of lines, or it might have been three lines. One line was, no one's here by accident. I kept like proclaiming it, shouting it out. There's not one person listening to this by accident. And the other thing I said was, and nothing's too bad. There's no one who's done something too bad for God. I kept hammering those, those two points. And then I did an altar call. And this guy came forward and got on his knees, and um, he had a a Maasai club in his hand and he was on his way to do a revenge killing Mm -hmm. and he was led to the Lord. There was the power of God touched him. There was tears. I spent some time with talking to this guy and I couldn't believe, well, I could believe it, but it was just so awesome that God, this weird event had happened 
where our stage had been nicked, but we ended up yeah. the hill and, the, and intercepted basically a murder. Mm. And I've still got that Maasai club in, in my prayer room. I just have it as a trophy. Fantastic. And you just never know. This is the point. Like, oh, there's so many stories I could tell. Like, wherever you go, God sees where you're going to go and just uh, and he will have you meet someone. And you may not see the salvation. I want to say what you were saying, Simon, earlier. It's so true. You will get, there will be mocking. You'll feel like an idiot. Your flesh will be touched. Your your you know, all the things, our ego, the things that, that our ego sort of, um, um, what's the word, kind of coils up mm. in, uh, it's the wrong word, but that all that stuff happens. There will be fear, but, 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 you know, the flesh is weak, but the spirit is willing and the spirit of God will come on you and you'll grow, you'll grow new muscles. And this is what the church, I really believe that, that we are coming into a time. I, I, in some ways, it feels like the enemy's one. It's, in some ways, it feels like, you know, some of those scenes out of those great kind of allegorical films like um, The Lord of the Rings or something where it's like the enemy's one, but actually this is our time. This is our hour. We're going to see an apostolic missional move of the church, a pressing into God, a kind of bridal devotion, a return to first love. And and, and really, yeah, like a spirit of Elijah, like a a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, I believe is going to come on the church. And there's going to be an amazing separation of the church, a consecration, if yeah. you like, where, where even, almost like it, it seems as though the enemy's won, like, you know, with all the kind of rampant, what I would call rampant wokeism and the intimidation and the manipulation and the, and people being kind of arrested for preaching the gospel and all of this, or, or, or arrested for refusing to, or not arrested, but kind of sent to court for refusing to make a cake for so-and-so. But actually, there's going to be this bold church that rises up who's not ashamed of the gospel. Mm. In fact, who loves the gospel and loves people enough to lay their lives down. That's right. And you said just a while back, you said, we, we have got to go. And was it Matthew 28, you know, when Jesus is saying, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all I've commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. And, and the lo, the, the promise of the accompanying Holy Spirit is almost contingent on the lo, isn't it? On, on the going. We've got to go if we want the lo. Without the, without the go, no lo, in a sense. And, and so the promise is there, but we need to go. It just reminds me of, you know, back in, back in Burundi, I started an outreach on the beach uh, for all the sports guys out there on a Sunday morning. And and, you know, I, I would get to church two hours later and I'm like, well, church, church is all right. But I've just been out on the beach and like, every week we'd seen people come to know Jesus amidst sweaty bodies and, you know, kicking a ball around. And, and you know, we had crazy experiences. And I remember just jogging back from it and I'd have to go past the sort of drugs den of, of, of Bajumbra and I'd sit down with these honestly they were losers. They were lost. They were hopeless, you know, as they smoked their weed and did other stuff. And it was like, to me, that was, that was the kingdom of God came. And, you know, I even got the, the bonus of a guilt-free passive smoking high, you know, it was just phenomenal mm. times. I mean, I'm joking on that one, but, but, you know, it was the concept of going out there. We want people to come into our establishments, which are quite weird places, aren't they? If you don't know the, the subculture, whereas we are called to go. And I think all of us, Don and my heart for you guys listening right now is what does your go look like? And what does not toning down the message, not putting your light under a bushel look like? Very quickly give you a testimony, Simon, as you were talking, I, I, I was reminded of another story when I was out in Cape Town and I was out with a friend who has a ministry in Manenberg, which is a township. 
And I remember at the time I was wrestling with Matthew 10, I think it's 26 to 28, where Jesus says, what you hear in the ear, preach from the rooftops. And I was saying to the Lord, Lord, is that hyperbole? Are you kind of giving a kind of hyperbolic thing where it's like, you know, or is that literal? And I remember just thinking, gosh, well, you were raised above the earth naked on a cross. Then why is it too much to ask people to get on rooftops? So long story short, I decided on a particular day to get to, to get on a rooftop and preach the gospel. And I knocked on this um, uh, the door of a, a shop in Manenberg. It was a, a convenience store and a Muslim lady came to the, the door and I said, would you mind if I used your roof to give a message? You know, I, I, it always makes me laugh because I think, you know, what would it be like to, 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 to ask that message in kind of Chelsea mm-hmm. or something? You know, but in Manenberg, it was like, I'll just go and ask my father. And she went and asked her Muslim father and um, I was given the roof. It was a bit like, uh, anyway, so I was given the roof and I got up on the roof and I, and I went for it and I preached the gospel. I always tend to start with John 3.16, particularly if, I, if I'm tongue-tied. And I just say, for God so love the world. And people stopped. People, I want to encourage people that, that people listening, that when you step over the chicken line, uh, Joshua is told, be strong and, and of good courage and very courageous. He was told that, I think, three or four times in Joshua chapter one, when they were called to go into the promised land. And that is the call for the church today. Be strong and very mm. courageous. Go mm. into dark places. Go into places where it would seem like no way. And I'm telling you that, you know, the darker it is, the lighter you mm. shine. And when I preach the gospel from that roof, this, uh, the, this gangster came by as a 21-year-old gangster. He stopped. He heard the whole message. He ended up giving his life to the Lord with my friend. Mm-hmm. And I only heard this story, funnily enough, two years mm-hmm. later when I was encouraging my friend who's out there with an amazing ministry in Manenberg. And he, some guy had been shot the night before. And it, this guy had been shot on a revenge killing. But he said that, Pete said to me that it was hard, hard for him to get out of the circle, but that he was... He believed, and I believe he's in heaven today. You never know who you're going to touch in those moments when you just choose to be obedient with your best. You try, choose to give God your best effort. Hi, folks. I hope you're really enjoying the podcast. If you are, I'd love you to share it around with your mates so as many people get to hear it and benefit from it as well and get inspired. And also, if you'd like to support our work in Burundi, which is the hungriest country in the world through Great Lakes Outreach, I'd love that too. Go to greatlakesoutreach.org forward slash inspired. Now, let's get back to the podcast. You just mentioned, uh, interestingly enough, that the sort of the term awoke wokeism. And uh, I just want to explore that a bit with you. Um, so I would say that, you know, we, we'll have people listening who are both on the left and the right on the political spectrum. I would describe myself as pretty middle. I'd pick and choose from both sides. But I think as we look at our culture, there's been a massive pendulum swift, not just to the left, but to the far left. And it's almost the spirit of cultural Marxism in the country that, uh, you know, the cancel culture, they're calling people out for anything that sort of veers off the new orthodoxy and, and it's it means that a crushing of freedom of speech it's i think it's very dangerous and i'm, I'm concerned for the church uh in in that way do you want to speak into that at all yeah i th- i think it's a really important topic to hit the woke thing um i have felt over the last two three years like I can't get off the topic. In a sense, it feels like God's been giving me a revelation of what's going on. Um, It's a very complex topic that uh, some people 
Christians who love the Lord don't even know what the word means, and that's completely understandable. But I, uh, here's my sort of effort at demystifying a little bit and helping Christians to understand it so that we can respond in the right way. First of all, um, I believe that, our, you know, as Paul writes in Ephesians 6, our battle is not with people. Our battle, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We, we're in a spiritual battle, and uh, those spirits get, end up in being embodied in people and, 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 and physical things. But I really do believe that the woke movement is a spiritual battle. It's actually the woke movement is run, uh, in my view, by a spirit. I just give a little bit of background and say that, you know, today our culture, and you, uh, Simon, you used the term cultural Marxism. I think that's a very good term. Our culture is is right now being bullied by sin. So, you know, we're be, that we're being bullied into a corner by progressive bigots, hypocrites, and thought police. Now, I realize those are strong words that I'm saying right there, but a bigot is someone who is intolerant of someone else's views. And what's ironic here is that the church or parts of the church, perhaps the more conservative, you know, more quote-unquote fundamentalist parts of the church have been called bigots in the past. And there's probably some truth in that. You know, we're all capable of, being, of having this intolerance, this lack of love, lack of compassion. But the irony is that it's swung the other way. And actually the bigotry today is largely coming from the, these camps, and it needs to be called out. It really does. It needs to be called out in love. It needs to be exposed. Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, expose works of, dark, of darkness. And if nothing else, to empower the church again. Because what's happened with this uh, woke movement, with the cultural Marxism, is actually there's been a muzzle placed over believers. The whole thing around hate speech, um, you can't say that, you know, political correctness, it's all tied in with this spiritual battle that we're in. And it's muzzled the church. It's uh, made the church water down the truth, water down the gospel. It's made pastors terrified of saying things that will bring offense, that possibly will get them in trouble, um, get them called a bigot, you know, that sort of thing, you know, get them done for hate speech. I mean, it's so interesting that the way the enemy comes with the number one tool that Christians are called to do, which is to love God and love people. And actually, if you were to love God, and love people in today's society faithfully, then the number one thing that will come against you is that you are a hater, that you're actually using hate speech. You'll be, you could potentially be done for hate crime. Now, does that mean it's true? Absolutely not. It could be that you're not doing it in a nice way, but and this is why this is why it's important to demystify it. There's a lot of fear that's coming through this kind of bullying movement. I mean, the leader of the Labour Party just the other day um, was sort of made to apologise to the LGBTQ, I call them uh, Gestapo. Now, I'm not talking about all LGBTQ people at all. I'm talking about a, a, a set of people that um, uh, behave like the Gestapo and basically make people apologise uh, because he went to church on Good Friday. The leader of the Labour Party went to church on Good Friday. He was made to apologise. I mean, this is craziness. And it's actually disgusting. And it's a pathetic indictment on where we have arrived spiritually as a people, as a nation. You know, I'm, I'm not into calling the Britain a, a Christian nation. I don't think that kind of language is helpful. But the facts remain is that we have centuries of history and beautiful churches and cathedrals 
strewn throughout our land and our our our, our the the um the our, our our legislation common law etc all comes from the christian faith so to feel that we've arrived at this place in high levels of political um uh, corridors is craziness to me and actually uh, just to touch a little bit more on on wokeism and uh, i would say that it is a spiritual movement and that it's um pushed uh, because uh, it's pushed by a spirit of witchcraft and and i can say that because of the fruit that comes out of it yeah that's um, strong so what does that what does that mean right so Jesus says something that's really, obviously, really powerful, really important. He says, a tree is known by its fruit. In other words, the roots of a movement are known by the fruit. And so I would justify that point about witchcraft. I mean, I'd probably need longer, but I'll do my best in the little time we have to say that wherever you see the woke movement kind of really thriving, you'll see either rebellion, rioting, You'll see rampant virtue signaling, which is basically, you know, rainbows everywhere, rainbows on corporate logos. If you don't wear a rainbow, you might be fired, like we've seen that. Uh, You'll see a lot of condemnation. Uh, If you don't fall in line, you'll see a lot of intimidation, which is a, a sure sign of witchcraft, and control, which is at the root of witchcraft. Witchcraft is basically using spiritual power. It's using power over people, but apart from the Holy Spirit. That's the biblical definition of witchcraft. And by the way, it doesn't always, in fact, it hardly involves pointy hats, spells, and, you know, big green ladies with noses. It's far more subtle than that. And, you know, the whole cancel culture, the de-platform that's going on, this is classical fruit of the root of witchcraft, the spirit of witchcraft. It's bad fruit. And it's obviously nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. God is not, God is against that spirit. Now that doesn't mean, and this is really important for people to hear, what I'm not saying is that some of the causes and the issues that the woke movement goes after are not dear to God. What we need to remember about the way the spirit battle works is that when the enemy comes, he comes disguised as as an angel of light. He comes with the counterfeit. So he uses things that are true and he, he perverts them. He he, he uses them in the wrong way. Um, the, 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 the ultimate counterfeit, I believe, that woke is bringing is, is basically a counterfeit righteousness. Galatians 3.1, Paul, Paul rebukes the Galatian church. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Mm-hmm. So what Paul is doing here is addressing the legalism and the self-righteousness that had crept in kind of in disguise to the Galatian church. And that's always going to be a temptation for the church. It's, it's a classic kind of fall from grace, if you like. And interestingly, Paul says bewitched. In other words, the spirit of witchcraft comes against the cross. It comes to bring a counterfeit righteousness. In other words, we can find our righteousness by what we do by things that we stand for, by causes that we... So what you see in the woke movement is you see causes that are important to the heart heart of God. So for example, uh, classic woke stuff is um, standing up for gay people who've been, you know, who've been treated badly. Um, You know, that is, that is dear to the heart of God. God stands uh, with with the woman caught in adultery and stops the stones being thrown because that's who he is. 
But at the same time, he doesn't end up then promoting the sin. He says, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. So there you'll see a counterfeit coming through the LGBTQ um, hardline woke movement, where actually um, certain types of sex education that are deeply ungodly are being brought into our schools today. So with BLM, what you'll see is, you know, racism is a terrible evil. It's a wickedness. But the way BLM have got on board with that, and if you look into BLM, you'll see that there are cult, there are Marxist roots. There are all sorts of roots that are actually not godly. And you end up with bullying, rioting, deplatforming, things that are just not of God. So that's what I mean by the counterfeit. Uh, taking a something that is precious, but the way that it's brought is actually, it's the wrong spirit. And, you know, there's a lot of people caught up in these movements and they are, they're wanting to do good things. And there's a thirst. We all have an intrinsic God-given thirst for righteousness to be justified. But if we don't find that via the cross, if we don't find that via the grace of God, then we end up, well, we're not even saved. You know, we're in a terrible uh, state. So that's why I would say that a lot of this movement carries the Antichrist spirit. And the Antichrist spirit is a counterfeit salvation. It's a counterfeit messianic, you know, anointing, if you like. And it comes against the cross of Jesus. So in winding up what, I, what I'm saying here, and this is really important, I really want to encourage people today. This is what's happening. This is a large part of the battle in the West, not just in the UK, in Europe, in America particularly is coming against this spirit and is having wisdom and discernment to do it in the right way. And the ultimate way that we can do it is by preaching the gospel. The gospel is the, you know, it's the salvation. It's the power of God unto salvation. The best way the church can respond to this is not actually get to get too caught up in, you know, kind of correcting or rebuking these situations, but it's actually in just sharing the gospel preaching the gospel, preaching the cross. We've got to get back to the, the, the back to basics, boldly proclaiming the gospel. And Jezebel, okay, is a great story. Jezebel, Ahab, Elijah is a great biblical story that kind of sums this up. King Saul is another one. I would, I would help you, I would encourage people to look at when Samuel rebuked King Saul and said, um, rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as idolatry. Because King Saul was posturing in self-righteousness mm when he refused to do what God had said. And, 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 and Samuel basically said, you're falling into witchcraft. And it's funny or sad that King Saul did actually end his days in witchcraft. He went to see a witch. And this is, this is what you will see. You'll see that this stuff ends in the occult. But if we return to the word of the Lord, if we trust in the cross again, in the gospel and boldly preach it, that is the defeat of the enemy in this place in this battlefield, I should say. And the Jezebel, the Jezebel uh, Ahab thing is really pertinent. Jezebel is the classic witch of the whole, the whole Bible. You see her turn up in Revelation. You see her um, obviously in, in the time of, uh, of Israel. And then Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, which Simon, you, you talked about at the beginning of this, this interview, is what we need to see in the church. Ultimately, it's, just, it's the Holy Spirit and fire. But Elijah confronted Jezebel confronted the false prophets, 850 false prophets on Mount Carmel. And, um, and, and, and that's what, what we need to carry today. And it, it is interesting that Jezebel was married to Ahab. And so you have this whole sub-narrative of kind of an Ahab church that relinquishes its authority. 
and kind of comes under the, the witchcraft and the intimidation of Jezebel. And we're seeing that sadly in the church. We're seeing parts of the church basically buckle under the fear of, of the, the spirit of Jezebel and become like an Ahab mm. and uh, relinquish their authority, relinquish their call. And actually what we need to do is, is kind of learn from Elijah learn from that that sort of John the Baptist spirit and actually just preach the cross again, preach repentance. We need to preach repentance. We need to trust God that as we step out and proclaim the gospel, he will bring conviction of sin and that this battle is ultimately spiritual. Amen. Well, listen, um, I feel that a whole bunch of people listening right now will be wanting another hour of, of you unpacking what you've said. You use some strong words like witchcraft and antichrist. And um, it's it's powerful stuff. And that is that is the language of Elijah, of the prophetic voice that the church, I think, is massively lacking in the nation right now. I know, Don, sometimes it's a very lonely calling and it's a lonely road. Um, and I would just want to encourage people whether you agree or disagree with how Dom has just expressed it, I would love you to engage with it and also to be in touch with him because he comes out with regular stuff, which totally challenges and helps sort of sharpen my thinking on this. So Dom, how can people hear more about you? How can they get involved in your work? How can they write to you and say, what you just said was a load of rubbish on that inspired with Simon Gilbert, whatever. I know you're, you're totally open for interacting and your spirit is, you've got bold and, uh, and strong conviction in it, but I hope people would still have heard, you know, it's, it's, it's totally underpinned by this massive compassion and soft heart that you've got. Thank you, Simon. Yeah, um, so I can be followed if, if you want on Facebook. Uh, Dominic Leo Muir is my Facebook. Or you can write e an email to talk at nowbelieve.com. Uh, you can follow any of our events or gatherings. We're hoping to do a tour this summer and have a summer gathering uh, at jesusfields.com. Great. And I will put all those things in the blurb. So it's been a thought-provoking week. It's been fantastic to hear from Dom's story. And folks, if you want more of that, then I look forward to next week. We've got another super guest. I love the variety that we're getting on this. And if you want to be in touch with me, you can contact me on any of the social media platforms or simongilbo.com. Otherwise, please give us a five-star review on iTunes and spread the word. And I look forward to next time. All right, doodaloo.